Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Urash Madich for a conversation about Aegean trade in Egypt during the Late Bronze Age. Dr. Madich is a European archaeologist and Egyptologist. He is a research associate at the Austrian Archaeological Institute within the Austrian Academy of Sciences based in Vienna, Austria. He has written numerous publications over his career, including a couple books as examples. He's author of the book, Body and Frames of War in New Kingdom Egypt, Violent Treatment of Enemies and Prisoners, which was published by Herosowitz Verlag. And he's also author of the book, Violence and Gender in Ancient Egypt, which was published by Routledge. And Dr. Madich joins the show today from Vienna. Welcome to the show, Urash. Hi, Andrew. Good morning and thank you for having me. Good morning to you, Urash. It's good to connect with you this morning. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, so, yeah, so when we did the, um, when we had a short uh, pre-chat a few days ago, we were, we were chatting about uh, timeframes for, for the chat around the Bronze Age. And you had made a comment that if we tackle the whole Bronze Age, that um, inside of the conversation, it would be a different, uh, it would be a slightly a different conversation because of the different periods within that kind of sub periods within within the Bronze Age when speaking about trade in um, in, in Egypt. Um, why did you make that? Why did you make that comment? Yeah, first of all, uh, as we said, this is a question of scale of the podcast and also the scale uh, of exchange and trade in the Bronze Age itself, the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, and also the evidence we have for different periods. So when I say that it is a difference in scale, uh, it seems really that trade and exchange between Egypt and the Aegean in the early Bronze Age, which is from around 3000 to 2000 BCE, and the Middle Bronze Age, which is around 2000 to 1700 BCE, was not as extensive as in the late Bronze Age, which is around uh, 1700 until 1100 BC. And this is something indicated both by the written sources and the archaeological record. For example, we have less references to the Aegean in the Egyptian texts in these earlier periods, meaning the early and middle Bronze Age, and far less Aegean material culture in Egypt and Egyptian material culture in the Aegean. So the first question which comes to mind is why? we have to think about the scale of the societies involved in this exchange. So during the early Bronze Age on Crete, for example, we are dealing with pre-palatial societies. These are societies which are still not organized themselves in such a way to achieve control of broader regions and maybe establish a direct diplomatic contact with different polities. But this is also, in a way, an assumption. In the late Bronze Age, at least when Crete is concerned, we can even speak of the dominance of the palace of Knossos, of the entire island, or at least most of it. And this is reflected in the archaeological record of exchange with Egypt. Yeah, so this would be the answer to your question why we chose late Bronze Age. Okay, and is it, um, is it that uh, scholars are confident that trade really picked up in the late bronze age between and we're chatting about egypt and the aegean um aegean communities today is it so in the late bronze age is it that scholars confidently believe trade really picked up volume wise or is it that there's more evidence that there is more uh 
tr trade. And this is partly kind of a, you know, uh, evidential, but also an in in inference type question. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So on one side, as I said, we have much more evidence during the late Bronze Age in the sense that uh, it is very visible in the archaeological record of the entire Eastern uh, Mediterranean. But we also have more written sources from Egypt. Um, I will go into the details later on in this talk. But yes, uh, it is also a question of the type of information we have. So choosing late Bronze Age as a case study is good uh, because we can tackle different aspects. We can tackle the question of uh, state-level trade through diplomacy and gift exchange, but we can also tackle the, the very uh, hot issue of um, uh, private trade uh, and trade on local level. Uh, of course, um, as you said, there is of course evidence for, for trade and exchange uh, during the early and the Middle Bronze Age between Egypt and the Aegean. But let's say that the common opinion uh, nowadays is that it also ran uh, through intermediaries. So there were, of course, uh, other people involved. And we can say that the evidence we have uh, for now uh, indicates that in the late Bronze Age, we can really see direct diplomatic contacts between uh, Aegean and Egypt. Yes. Okay. All right. So yeah, so let's go. Yeah, let's go to the late Bronze Age then. So um, you said there's direct contact. I think you mentioned there is some some writings left over. There's there's obviously some products le left over. So can you describe um, how um, scholars are confident that there was Aegean communities, people from Aegean communities arriving in Egypt and doing trade there? Yeah, so um, we of course have the archaeological record, that is the actual material remains of, of this exchange and trade and diplomacy, which we actually detect through imported material, either Aegean material, material of uh, Aegean provenance which we find in Egypt, um, such as for example pottery, and we are going to go into details later on with this, but also Egyptian uh, material culture uh, imported to the Aegean area in this period, uh, for example, stone vessels, but we also have the so-called Egyptiaca or Egyptianizing material, which is locally produced uh, material culture in the Aegean, which imitates uh, Egyptian material culture, specifically that one which is imported. So this is when archaeology is concerned. But we also have uh, evidence from uh, artistic depictions of Aegean emissaries or ambassadors who came to Egypt, uh, starting with the 18th dynasty, at least uh, uh, concerning the evidence we have. And we have textual sources mentioning different Aegean polities and uh, the exchange or diplomatic uh, connections Egypt had with these polities, yes. Um, what uh, main Aegean communities or states have been identified that did trade with uh, in, in Egypt in this uh, period of time? 
Yeah, so we are tracing this to the presence of Egyptian material culture in the Aegean, and most of it is found on Cretan sites, so on the island of Crete in the Aegean, and the sites of mainland Greece, more precisely Peloponnese. We know that these lands belong to different polities, so we refer to the people from Crete in modern scholarship as Minoans, and we refer to the people from mainland Greece as Mycenaeans, but of course, I have to stress, the reality behind their identity is much more complex. Uh, it is more heterogeneous. So over several centuries, the region has seen much change. And this, this of course, influenced the diplomacy, trade and exchange with Egypt. And of course, there was also much change in Egypt too over the centuries. So we have to uh, deal with this topic in the context of uh, the entire Eastern Mediterranean uh, during the Bronze Age and uh, in the context of very dynamic uh, social and political processes in this uh, region. Is there anything beyond products that were left over in, in the records um, that indicate to scholars that the Mycenaeans were in, in Egypt, where I'm kind of getting at with that question is, could could it be a it, could it be a case of potentially Mycenaeans trading some products with the the Minoans and the right and then the because the, the island of Crete is closer to Egypt. Is there anything more than products that uh, have been left over that are linked to the the, the Myce, Mycenaeans that would indicate that? the uh, Mycenaeans were, were um, actually arrived in Egypt. Is there any, any, any inscriptions or anything like, like that? Yes, uh, this is much later during the Amina period. Uh, there is a papyrus from, uh, which is currently the British Museum. And on this papyrus, there is a depiction of uh, foreign looking soldiers uh, who are wearing uh, helmets which uh, look like the famous uh, uh, Bortask helmets from uh, mainland Greece. So there was a suggestion by a group of scholars that uh, Mycenaean uh, soldiers were uh, employed in the Egyptian army as some sort of auxiliary forces. And um, this is not a strange phenomenon because we know that uh, Egyptians employed uh, soldiers uh, and specialists from different uh, lands, for example, the Nubians. And uh, yeah, simply this interpretation cannot be excluded. So this would be one of the rare um, cases where we have uh, actual evidence for actual presence of people from mainland Greece, uh, or let's say people from uh, the Aegean who tend to wear Bordask helmets in Egypt, probably or most uh, surely uh, at Amarna, um, which was the, the capital during the Amarna period of the 18th dynasty under the reign of Akhenaten. Yeah, and coincidentally, um, uh, uh... Doctor, and I think I'd mentioned this in the in the in the in the pre pre chat. Um, Doctor Joyce Tildesley was on the show um, in, in an episode that was just published a few days ago on Akhenaten's life. So that uh, that 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 city that he uh, built during his life came up um, quite a bit uh, during that episode. 
Um, that's that uh, papyrus scroll. What what period did you cite that that was pegged to? So this is a minor period. This is during the 18th dynasty or the part of the 18th dynasty when Akhenaten ruled over Egypt and uh, had his capital at Tel el Amarna. Yeah, around 14th century, right? BCE. Exactly. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So let's yeah, let's go to the products then. What are the main products that is uh, believed the Aegean communities um, uh, imported into Egypt in the late Bronze Age? And your previous question is uh, also tied to uh, this question, and that is what uh, what products or what else besides the products itself do we have or do not have? And I think maybe it would be interesting to start with some products which we do not have in the archaeological record, but we know that these products were traded around. And why am I starting with this? Because uh, when we talk about the scale of trade and exchange, we have to be aware that, of course, we as archaeologists do not have the total archaeological record and that the things we have in the archaeological uh, record are there uh, due to uh, their resistance to certain taphonomical processes. What does that actually mean? Well, there are archaeological materials, such as, for example, organic materials, which are rarely preserved and then only in special conditions. And these processes which lead to destruction or preservation of different materials are called taphonomic processes. So uh, going back to Egypt and the Aegean, in our case, we have no organic remains and no, let's say, ceramic vessels of Aegean provenance found in Egypt have been analyzed for contents yet. However, we know from written sources, such as, for example, the medical papyrus Ebas, uh, that Egyptians knew of a sort of uh, beans from Crete, which is in Egyptian language, Eurit Keftiu. And we know from depictions of Aegean ambassadors or emissaries in Egypt that textiles were imported too. So these textiles are depicted in the hands of the Aegean ambassadors, represented in Theban tombs of the 18th dynasty. Uh, and these tombs belong to high Egyptian officials who, let's say, were uh, high status individual, high status men of this period. And they were in charge of organizing official diplomatic visits to Egypt. So furthermore, these Aegean emissaries I mentioned are themselves depicted wearing elaborate dresses in the form of a breech cloak with a codpiece, and then later they are wearing uh, a kilt sort of a dress. And these dresses are richly decorated and have parallels in representations of dress in the Aegean. Some of the motives on these dresses are also found on Aegean pottery and in the decoration of Egyptian scarabs and even on ceilings of elite tombs. And this use of Aegean decorative patterns in Egypt, in iconography, has led some archaeologists to assume that they originally came on imported textiles to Egypt. So in a way, all of this evidence might suggest uh, that which is invisible in the archaeological record and uh, that uh, we had also trade in textiles, uh, although we do not have uh, textiles preserved. Yes, so uh, this would be one example. And if you mm -hmm. like, I can give you some more examples of this. Please, yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so um, 
there is also the question, as I said, of the content of these vessels. And uh, some archaeologists who do not specialize in Egyptian art and iconography have interpreted representations of uh, Egyptian, uh, uh, they have interpreted Egyptian representations of Aegean uh, vessels uh, made in uh, metals such as bronze, gold, uh, silver, as uh, having flowers uh, as content. And uh, it's hard to um, describe this uh, in words, but I'm going to give my best. So you have to imagine uh, these scenes like this. You have uh, a row of uh, these Aegean ambassadors bringing different goods to uh, the Egyptian court. And among these uh, objects they bring are, as I mentioned, these metal vessels. Uh, of course, these objects and people are depicted according to certain Egyptian patterns of representation. And that is, Egyptians tend to depict objects and people uh, using several aspects uh, at the same time. So you simultaneously have several perspectives of the same object in one image. And why is this important? Because some of these vessels actually have uh, depictions of, let's say, flowers or frogs or heads of goats or heads of Egyptian deities such as God Bess protruding out of these vessels. And some archaeologists have suggested that this might be an indication that the content of these vessels were flowers. And this is a mistake. Uh, and here is why. Because actually, this way of depicting these important vessels is uh, indicating, uh, contrary to the arguments that flowers were the contents, that all these uh, things protruding out are actually part of the decoration of these vessels. So this is something which you cannot see because this decoration is found, let's say, on the interior of the vessel. So what the Egyptian artist wanted to show is various aspects of the object. So the yeah. object not depicted only frontally or in profile, but also adding the elements of what is depicted inside of the object. So we have to be, be very careful with this. Um, yeah, so this is a, a short comment about what we do not have, but what we know that uh, must have circulated around. But we can also come to the question of what we actually have in the archaeological record, if you want. There were, and I want to clarify, there, there were uh, art, artwork, uh, inscriptions on the inside of, of vessels, it's believed? Exactly. And uh, we know that from actual examples of metal vessels in Egypt, that these uh, vessels made in bronze, silver or gold were also decorated in interior and exterior parts. But when you, as an artist in Egypt, want to depict this, you have a problem. Because how do you depict interior of a vessel, something which is not visible if you depict a profile of a vessel. And the way the Egyptian artists uh, sorted this uh, visual mm -hmm. representative problem out, uh, they simply depicted 
uh, elements protruding out of the vessels they depicted in, in profile. So you would have a depiction, let's say, of a, of a bowl, and in the depiction you would see flowers uh, in the same color of the bowl, let's say the color of gold, which is yellow, and these flowers are protruding out of the vessel. So some archaeologists thought this might be the contents, like they imported golden mm. vessels with flowers inside. And my point is here, this is an erroneous interpretation, simply because uh, this is a misunderstanding of Egyptian patterns of representation. I understand. And so the the artwork and inscriptions re regarding the vessels, some of that survives, uh, but not, not the actual vessels themselves. Is that correct? Yes. So the metal vessels uh, did not survive. And there are various reasons for this. So as we know, uh, metals such as bronze, silver and gold are precious. And uh, they are being uh, reused and remelted. So uh, it is very uh, hard to find uh, such luxurious objects in the archaeological record. And one would expect to have them, let's say, in uh, the tombs of high officials or the, the highest elite of the society, such as the, the royal family. But as you know, most of the tombs uh, of uh, this class in ancient Egypt were robbed already in antiquity. And uh, of course, what happened with these uh, vessels, which might have been there, we can only imagine, yes. Um, we know that they were there because they were depicted. Okay. Um, so when, is anything known about, so, so if the um, traders are arriving from, um, from the Aegean region, is anything known about where they would have done, done their trade? You mentioned court, uh, I think a few times in your, in your responses. Um, is, is, it, is, it, is it presumed that they uh, would have um, sought uh, the actual court in, in initially or as soon as possible as landing? Did they, is, it, is, it is it presumed or known if they did trade all, all along the coast? Can you, can you speak into that a bit? Yes, gladly. So I think that in order to uh, answer this question, we have to differentiate between different forms of trade. So let's say if we are speaking about um, trade on a state level, which is also tied to official diplomatic visits, uh, we have evidence that people from the Aegean, more specifically from uh, the islands of the Aegean, such as Crete and the Cycladic Islands, that they came to Egyptian court in form of official diplomatic visits uh, already in the early 18th dynasty with the reign of the female king Hatshepsut and then continuing into the reign of Amenhotep II. So we are talking about the mid of the 18th dynasty that is, uh, let's say, starting from the mid of the uh, 15th century uh, BC, actually a little bit earlier and then continuing into the 14th century and uh, BC. And what we know from these depictions is that uh, these Aegean ambassadors uh, came to the Egyptian court with uh, a wide range of objects and materials. Some of them I have already mentioned. These are these metal vessels. 
but there are also other products such as let's say uh, metal ingots of copper in the form of oxide but then we also have depictions of swords textiles jewelry so this is all they brought with and we know that these products are described in the accompanying texts with the word inu which in ancient egyptian basically means that which is brought and uh, we know that uh, this was not a form of attack so it was not something which these Aegean uh, polities were obliged to bring to egypt uh, so we are safe to assume that these are uh, a form of diplomatic official gifts and this is something which can of course initiate trade on a state level where this happened well this happened in uh, egyptian palaces and uh, we can safely assume that uh, these official ambassadors from Aegean came either to memphis or to thebes or both sides and uh, this is where they presented their gifts and also establish uh, uh, diplomatic contacts and uh, some uh, as i said trade on this highest uh, uh, level. Of course, we have evidence of trade on a local level of, uh, uh, let's say, much, uh, much lower scale. And uh, this we can trace through the importation of, for example, uh, Minoan and Mycenaean pottery uh, to Egypt. And we find uh, Minoan and Mycenaean pottery uh, also on settlement sites. I have to stress that uh, compared to Mycenaean pottery, uh, Minoan pottery in Egypt is uh, less uh, well attested, simply it is not that numerous, but it was there and it was also imitated locally. And uh, we know that it is also found in, in settlements such as, for example, Lahun, so that it was part of the daily life material culture of the commoners. and. Um, it seems that it was not something to which these people gave such a high value because it is regularly found in, in garbage disposals and so on. Um, Mycenaean pottery, on the other hand, is very interesting because we uh, tend to find more of it uh, later on. So during the, the Ramesside period, this is the 19th and 20th dynasty. So from the beginning of the 13th century until the 11th century BCE. And this Mycenaean pottery even reached Nubian sites, such as Amara West, Sesebi, and Sai Island. And uh, we do not know what this pottery contained, but there are assumptions that this pottery contained wine, oil, or perfume. And uh, I would also like to comment that some of these Mycenaean stirrup jars are found together with cosmetic utensils in Egyptian and Nubian tombs of this period. So it might be an indication that since they are found next to razors, uh, that maybe the contents were uh, aromatic oils used uh, in shaving, but this is uh, simply an assumption. So to summarize, uh, we have uh, two different levels of trade, one on the higher, in the highest uh, diplomatic circles, and the place where this occurred were Egyptian palaces. And when we are talking about trade on a smaller scale or a local level, then we are actually tracing trade 
on, uh, let's say, hardware side, such as Teladaba, where we also have uh, imported uh, Minoan uh, pottery and its imitations, or other Egyptian settlement sites, where the finds uh, we associate to trade with the Aegean could have also uh, came through secondhand or third party. What, um, what, what are the main products that the Egyptians would have given the Aegean traders in, uh, in return? Said, it, said another way, what, what interested the Aegean traders uh, in arriving in Egypt to do trade? Yes, so um, interestingly, contrary to Egypt, there is not much, let's say, Egyptian pottery in the Aegean. And therefore, um, the question is, is this really because it was not imported or the contents of these vessels uh, were not imported or there were no liquids which were of interest for the Aegean polities? Or um, because Egyptian pottery is uh, hard to recognize in the archaeological record when it is fragmentary, uh, especially for the non-specialists, Maybe it was simply, until now, not really recognized in the archaeological record of the Aegean. Why is that so? Well, when you compare uh, Egyptian pottery to the Aegean pottery, it is, let's say, uh, plain, it is not so elaborately decorated, and in Egypt, Aegean pottery is very easy to recognize. Uh, in, in Aegean, on the other hand, it is hard to recognize Egyptian pottery fragments in the bulk of uh, the more coarse uh, local pottery. But um, this question of pottery aside, we know that they uh, mostly uh, imported luxury goods and trinkets, such as, for example, finance objects or plaques inscribed with royal names, such as, for example, the name of uh, King Amenhotep III and his uh, great royal wife Kia of the 18th dynasty. So uh, as a reminder, this is uh, a ruler who ruled before Amenhotep IV uh, or Akhenaten uh, just before the Amarna period. And uh, these uh, finance objects were found in Mycenae. But as uh, several scholars have argued, we should be cautious in drawing conclusions based on them, since the analysis indicate an un-Egyptian manufacture. So the story is uh, much more complicated behind it. Uh, we also have the evidence for the importation of knowledge and ideas. For example, we know that already in the Middle Bronze Age, Egyptian hypopotamus goddess Taveret was imported to the Aegean, and she was slowly but surely transformed into the so-called Minoan genius. And she gained elements such as liba libation vessels, uh, which were originally in Egypt not associated to, to her, to Taveret. So therefore the locals adopted the foreign knowledge in a unique and creative manner. We know that they also imported, since the early Bronze Age, stone vessels from Egypt. And in the late Bronze Age, we even have evidence that these imported Egyptian stone vessels were in a way transformed to suit the local needs better. So basically, they reshaped these uh, vessels imported from Egypt in order to make them look more Aegean. And one more aspect which I find really interesting is that we have depictions of apes or monkeys in Aegean, 
um, in same poses, postures and activities we find them in Egypt. And the question is, if this is simply an iconographic importation, a motive which is imported from Egyptian art, or this could have been based on the actual importation of uh, monkeys to the Aegean from Egypt. And um, I think that is highly likely for one reason. There are several representations of ships in ancient Egypt where we can see monkeys on board of these ships. And I know that this might uh, come forth as a kind of a stereotypical image of a pirate ship with a monkey. And this is my small homage to Professor Louisa Hitchcock, who did extensive research on late Bronze Age piracy. But I still think that it is possible to imagine that these crews of late Bronze Age ships were multi-species crews. So there were not only humans there, there were also animals and plants. And um, these other species from other worlds could have been imported to the Aegean, and they could have been also understood as something very mystical and exotic. And the evidence for this is found in Aegean iconography, where monkeys are regularly associated to the Aegean goddesses. Um, yes, one more example of the important material from Egypt, uh, from Egypt or from Africa in general would be the ostrich eggs. And we have either fragments, such as, for example, uh, in Tiris in mainland Greece, but we also have an entire uh, ostrich egg uh, written uh, from the tallest tomb of Dendra in Argolid, which is now in the Archaeologi National Archaeological Museum of Athens in Greece. The first example um, that you provided there, I believe you said importing knowledge, and I, I believe the, um, I think you referenced the Min Minoan, um, the island of uh, Crete for that, and I thought I, I thought you'd um, used the pronoun her. Can, can you go back to that first example? Again, I just want to make sure I understand it properly. Yes, so um, when we are talking about the importation of knowledge and ideas, I was referring to this hippopotamus goddess Taveret, who uh, was imported uh, as an idea already in the Middle Bronze Age um, on Crete. And then uh, her original uh, depictions uh, from Egypt were transformed in Aegean iconography into a minor genius. So we have the importation of knowledge of this deity, importation of the idea of this deity, but we also have its transformation in the local context. Yes. I understand. Interesting. Thank you. Um, okay. How, uh, so let's, let's work our way, um, Urash, to some closing um, questions for the sake of time. Um, this has been a fascinating um, conversation. Um, what's, what's known about how the different parties would have communicated? Presumably the, the native languages would have been different. Well, we know that there were interpreters in the late Bronze Age. So, and we also know that ancient Egyptians knew of the language of Crete or language of Keftiu. Keftiu is a name for the land of Crete in Egyptian sources. So there is a school writing tablet from British Museum with personal names uh, in the language of Keftiu, and there is an inscription with place names uh, from the Aegean region, from a site called Komelhetan. It is actually on the base of a statue of a king, 
and it has been often interpreted as a, as a form of an itinerary of the Egyptian journey through the Aegean. And there are even two magical spells in the London Medical Papyrus. So all of this indicates that Egyptians uh, were aware of this language of uh, the land of Crete and that some of the words of this language uh, were also written down in their own documents. There is also a reference to a scribe of Menenus documents. Menenus is another name for possibly uh, either Crete or part of Crete, but there are also other opinions on the location of Menenus. But if we assume that Menenus was also uh, a name of at least one part of the island of Crete, then um, we have in this Papyrus Anastasi IV uh, from the reign of Seti II, this is uh, the very end of 13 and the beginning of uh, 12th century BC. Uh, in this Papyrus, then we have evidence of a scribe, uh, possibly even a, a foreigner, who knew how to write in that script uh, of uh, Crete, which would in this uh, time period definitely be uh, linear B. So these are bits and pieces about what they knew about language. And um, yeah, of course, we have to imagine that these people travel, uh, traveled around, so they could have picked up uh, words from different languages and used them whenever they needed. But there is also this aspect of um, nonverbal communication. And one example we can use for this is a very famous site called Tel El Daba, which was actually mentioned by Professor Louisa Hitchcock in one of your earlier podcasts. And there we have Maimon frescoes, which were painted in Egyptian palaces. And um, we know that the technique was uh, imported. So it was an Aegean fresco technique, meaning that um, yeah, uh, the technique was different than in, than, uh, than in Egypt because uh, it was uh, use of uh, colors on a wet uh, uh, surface and uh, the materials were local. So the people who painted these frescoes, uh, as I said, used foreign techniques and iconography, but they used local materials. And they either had to communicate this verbally, so to say, let's say, words in their own language or in Egyptian language in order for these resources to be provided to them, or they could have simply pointed to certain objects, materials uh, shown to them or available to them in Egypt, and therefore use like uh, nonverbal communication, body language, in order to sort uh, uh, these problems out. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Louise Hitchcock um, from the University of uh, Melbourne is a is a regular uh, on the show, um, and uh, she had she had uh, rec recommended you uh, for 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 a conversation on this topic, and I'm glad I'm glad she did. Um, <laughs> what's that? I said thanks to Louisa. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, okay, so how do you how do you reconcile um, this question, Urash? Um, the volume of trade. Do you, do you have any sense of what uh, the amount of trade that would have been occurring? And this is a very broad question, but what I'm what I'm getting at there is like, is this really a, uh, a, a an, an, an uh, occasional visit of Aegean traders to to Egypt, or is it or is it ubiquitous? 
um, the, the Aegean traders in Egypt in this period of time? Like if you kind of traveled around Egypt, uh, perhaps more on the, on the coast for obvious re reasons, you would, you'd bump into Aegean traders quite, quite frequently. Um, so that's kind of what I'm getting at with the term ubiquitous, or is it, or, or do you believe it was somewhere in between those, those two, um, um, spe in, in that spectrum? This is an excellent question archaeologists often do not consider, um, simply because I think the answer lies in the context of the polities involved. So for example, when we are talking about direct contact between uh, mainland Greece and Egypt, we can safely exclude it until uh, more or less the end of the or the mid or the end of the 14th century BC, when we actually for the first time uh, have a direct, so we have evidence for a direct contact. Before that, it seems that this direct contact with Egypt was, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, in the hands of of the island of Crete and the Cretan polities, and uh, when uh, they fell to the power of uh, mainland Greece or, or Mycenae, this is where uh, slowly but surely things start to, to change. And uh, it seems really that the popularity of uh, Aegean pottery and the goods which it contained um, was much higher during the Ramesside period when actually these Mycenaean uh, pots were uh, imported and not because of the pots, probably because of their content. So the assumptions are that uh, the contents were olive oil or aromatic oils, as I mentioned. So yeah, to answer your question, I think that, again, as I said, this is depending on the polity involved. So maybe you're talking about uh, contacts between Egypt and Crete, uh, when we're talking about diplomacy between Keftiu and, and Egypt. Uh, we are talking about these regular diplomatic visits uh, at the beginning of the 18th dynasty until the middle of 18th dynasty. And then something happens. And the assumption is that uh, there, there is a local political change in the Aegean, so that Crete was not uh, governed anymore by the palace of Knossos and that Crete fell to the power of uh, Mycenae, and that since then uh, these official diplomatic contacts, of course, with Crete ceased, and they were taken over later on by the Mycenaean powers, which are also attested um, in, in the Amarna uh, records uh, and also in the Hittite records. So we know that starting from this period, starting from the Ramazite period, um, these Aegean polities uh, start, Aegean polities from mainland Greece start to have a more prominent uh, role. And this, of course, affects uh, the trade and uh, the distribution of uh, objects of uh, mainland Greece provenance uh, all over the Eastern Mediterranean. So as I said, it, they even reach Nubia. Okay, closing question for you, Urash. Yes. By the end of the period, by the end of the late Bronze Age, um, what's the evidence showing? Was did did uh, trade in Egypt from the Aegean precipitously drop? Um, was it still 
um, consistent with uh, earlier uh, times in the in the period, um, or 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 is there some kind of like gradual? So somewhere in between those two again, um, those those two uh, po polar polar opposites on a spectrum, um, more of a gradual uh, change with with trade one way or another in Egypt from the Aegean. Yes. Yeah, so um, in in the 12th, 11th century BC, uh, we have this process, numerous archaeologists have uh, termed the collapse of the late Bronze Age uh, palatial systems and societies. And uh, not going into details here with this phenomenon, it is clear that we have uh, big social changes on a local level in the Aegean and in other uh, Eastern Mediterranean societies, which then opened uh, the door for some other forms of obtaining uh, resources and objects. And one form of this is piracy. And there has been a tendency in, uh, let's say, last two decades to associate the so-called sea peoples phenomenon with the rise of piracy in the Eastern Mediterranean. So we know that uh, concerning Egypt, uh, these diplomatic relations with the Aegean polities dropped simply because um, there were no uh, Aegean palatial societies and polities there. So the people who lived in the Aegean organized themselves differently and they simply chose other ways of uh, getting what they wanted. So um, I would say that we have several parallel phenomena going on. So we have this issue of uh, climate change. We have the issue of local uh, changes in the societies and the rise of piracy uh, as a consequence, maybe, of both factors. And some authors would maybe say that this piracy was the trigger of the collapse. But anyhow, to conclude this, um, we can say that there, there were different factors which gradually uh, led to this drop of, uh, yeah, let's say, very extensive uh, trade relations in the Eastern Mediterranean. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Urash, and you've um, packed a lot of uh, content for, for all the listeners uh, inside of an hour. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Maddich wrote, he's author of the book Body and Frames of War in New Kingdom Egypt, Violent Treatment of Enemies and Prisoners. And he's also author of the book Violence and Gender in Ancient Egypt, I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Urash and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey again. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.